Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Thank you, choir, and thank you, kids' choir and preschool choir. And um, I mentioned earlier that... um, Our beloved children's pastor, Lisa Sanders, is on sabbatical, and by the way, it's nice to have folks around long enough to go on sabbatical, amen, I like that. Um, But while Lisa has been gone, we have been in in very good hands, and Craig and Kat Wilson sitting right up here on the front row have really kind of just taken everything, and yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys very much. We are in the uh, third week of a new sermon series, Pure Imagination, and there's a little song that goes with it, probably makes you think of this guy, Willy Wonka, and so we've been finding these amazingly deep theological truths in the movie, (laughs) Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, over the last several weeks, and today is no different because obviously today we're going to talk about Oompa Loompas. Amen, amen. Now, you may or may not know this about the Oompa Loompas. They come from Loompa Land, uh, which according to background material I found relative to the movie, is a small isolated island in the Pacific Ocean. And we get this actually from some of the dialogue in the movie. The Oompa Loompas would end up, were preyed upon or attacked by the Wangdoodles, Hornswogglers, and Snozwangers. That's what it says. It's in there. So what happened was Willy Wonka, seeing that they were actually prisoners in their own homeland and were in danger in their own homeland, invited them to come all the way back to the factory where they would make a new kind of life, a new kind of life. And it wasn't supposed to be that way, though. It wasn't supposed to be that way. But they made the best of it. They made the best of it, and they came, and they worked, and they uh, came up with some really incredible songs and some lessons in these songs. For example, if you chew gum too often, if you chew the wrong gum, and you turn into a giant blueberry, I'll hear, you'll see. I've got another puzzle for you. Listen to me. Gum chewing's fine when it's once in a while. It stops you from smoking and brightens your smile. But it's repulsive, revolting, and wrong. Chewing and chewing all day long. The way that a cow does. Oompa, loompa, doompa, ding, dong. Given good manners, you will go far. And so the Oompa Loompas, rescued from their homeland, rescued uh, from all of those other ugly people, were able to come and make the best of it and actually do some good work um, and help, I guess, in some sense, if you have chewed too much bubble gum. But it wasn't supposed to be like that. It wasn't supposed to be like that. As a matter of fact, maybe we have something in common with folks who look around and say, hey, it's not, it's not supposed to be like this. 
If you look back in the, in the early chapters in Genesis, you see this, in, in this incredible story there in chapter one of, of not just creation, but of God's intentions behind creation. I mean, this is an important point and one that you, you should not miss. And in fact, I would say it like this. If you do miss this one, if you do miss this one, cynicism is dead ahead. But at every point along the way, God creates, then he steps back and he says it's good. And good in that moment is not just good looking. The, the Hebrew word that is used there means this, it works. It works together. There's a health to it. There's a holistic sort of health to it. And so by the time you get to the end of the sixth day of creation and everything is created, God seems to stand back and say, wow, this is not just good. It's, it's very, very good. It all works it all works together. There's a health to it. There's a beauty to it. And, and it's all good. What happened? What happened? Why does it no longer look like that? What happens to decreate creation, to uncreate creation? What, what happens to the chaos that was finally brought under control, this chaos that becomes this beautiful creation, what happens to return that beautiful creation to chaos? If these early chapters in the book of Genesis are to be believed, and I think they should be believed, it goes something like this. Every time mankind chose in his own interest to the exclusion of God's interest, something sort of undoes creation. And slowly but surely, the chaos that was kept at bay creeps back in. The chaos creeps back in. And eventually what you have is you have captivity. Captivity takes a variety of forms, right? But you have captivity, and you can see it clearly in the book of Genesis. I think you can see it clearly in the book of Isaiah. There is this incredible captivity that has taken place because over a period of time, mankind, and in particular, the people of God, and in particular, the leadership of the people of God, they have chosen self-interest and prioritized self-interest above the interests of God, and chaos ensues. This, let me just say this here. When we choose self-interest above the interests of God, chaos still ensues. <laughs> it can still happen. And you can have, at the end of that process, captivity, ugliness, you can have judgment in chapter 35, read so beautifully by faith, and it is a beautiful passage of scripture. It is worthy of needle pointing and, and something on your fridge or on a pillow or in a frame somewhere, but just back one chapter is ugliness. And it's ugly because God seems to be saying in that moment in chapter 34, I have had it with all of this, and the chaos that you all, all nations, all of you, including Israel, I've had it with all of the chaos that you have unleashed because you have chosen yourself, you have chosen self-interest above the interests of God. I've had it, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to judge it all. And so what we have in captivity, what we have in these barren places now, what we have in the ugliness of creation that at one point was so incredibly beautiful and healthy, what you have is the opposite of that because in some sense, in some sense, God has left it to its own devices and sometimes we understand that to be the judgment of God, but never do we Christians understand that word of God to be the last word of God. 
I deserved one more amen than it got right there. Okay. Uh, so what you have here, anybody recognize this picture, this animated picture? It's Kids Sunday. Yeah, some of you do. This is, as many of you know, Pride Rock. Pride Rock, this is a scene from what movie? Ready, go. The Lion King, right. And, and essentially what you have in this particular scene of, of the Lion King is you have this demonstration. <clears throat> now, I'm not trying to sell you that this is somehow Disney's attempt at the gospel. I'm not trying to say that to you. What I'm saying to you is maybe we can see something here that helps us to see these words from the book of Isaiah a little better, a little differently. What you have here in Pride Rock is, the, is what happens when the hyenas and the ugly lion are in charge. When there's bad leadership, this is kind of what Isaiah says oftentimes, when there's bad leadership, everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. When, when the leadership chooses self-interest and excludes God from the decision-making process about how we're going to go about being alive, you get this, you get this. And some people, and sometimes this person, <laughs> still has trouble seeing more than this. I'm going to turn this into a giant support group for a while here. Is that okay? All right. Hi, my name is John. I'm your pastor. Hello, hello. Good to see you. Um, you ever spend too much time in your own head? <laughs> Most of you are honest. Okay, good. Yeah, some, sometimes I spend too much time in my own head. Now, Advent is a time, and we've been saying this, and so it bears repeating here again today. Advent is a time. When we do, we get to this third Sunday, and we start to, to, to kind of smell Christmas on the way. We've been hearing it since August, but you can kind of smell it now. You can kind of feel it. Maybe there's this internal clock, and, and you, like your kids, though you don't want to admit it, but your kids have this countdown going on. They've got it down to the hour, and maybe you do too. We're just not going to talk about you adults that have it kind of down to the day or to the hour, the countdown. But during that time, during this time of Advent, we also acknowledge that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. There is a darkness that we must contend with. It does Christians and Christianity no good. In fact, it is damaging to the testimony of Christians and Christianity when we look around and just try to paint smiley faces on broken places all over the place. We aren't those people. In fact, during Advent, we're the ones who are going to stand up and say, man, things are dark, and it looks like that sometimes. It looks like that sometimes. We have this really cool class, and, and this is kind of an, an advertisement, but, but it's not just an advertisement. We have this class called the Holiday Blues about seasonal affective disorder when people just kind of get depressed during this, this part of the year. I don't, I'm not that person. I don't get depressed because it's the holiday season. I do get stressed toward the end of the giving year. Hint, hint. I do get really stressed. I tell you what gets to me is when it doesn't rain. For so many days or weeks at a time, it gets to me. I pass Lake Hefner every day, multiple times. And I can tell you when the water level has changed. Are you, are you like that? Can you tell when the water level has gone down? And I find myself saying, God, make it rain. Because in my head, I'm also associating the lack of rain resources to the lack of resources. I'm also associating the lack of rain to, at times, what feels like the lack of the tangible 
evidence of God's presence and movement. And y'all, I'm your pastor. Sometimes, sometimes that, that lack of rain, and I, and I have other dear friends in the room who just hate the rain. I'm sorry, Amber. I'm praying for rain all the time. <laughs> and she's praying for sunlight, sunlight, sunlight. But I, I love clouds and I love rain because in some sense in my head, when it's cloudy and when it finally starts to rain, somebody's getting what they need. Earth is getting what it, the earth is getting what it needs, and we are, we are somehow able to then see the, the, the faithfulness of God in that whole thing. But man, when it doesn't rain. And when the ground gets dry and it gets cracked, I am associating all of that with the absence of God. And then there's Facebook, y'all. So I'm already asking the question, where's God, where's God, where's God? And then on top of that, I get really frustrated by what passes as Christianity in this town. And what passes is theology on Facebook all over the world. What passes is, is Christian theology all over the world. And so when it's not raining and the ground is cracked up and, and then the, the water level is dropping in Lake Hefter and I look around in Facebook and there's just lunacy on Facebook, amen? There's lunacy on Facebook. I have a tendency to say, God, are you paying attention? God, are you nearby? God, are you helping? God, what am I doing? What am I doing or not doing <laughs> that is contributing to all of this confusion? What, what can happen? And sometimes if you're not careful, if you're anything like me, sometimes what can happen is this, the cynicism starts to steer your car. And what I need in that moment, it's some really good Advent theology. What I need in that moment, when there is doubt, by the way, it is not unchristian to doubt. In fact, and you've heard me say this before, can we recover that era of Christian history when it was actually a good and a positive thing to doubt in community? Because there are days when, and we've said this for a little while in our Sunday school class, there are days when we know that it's really good that we've locked arms and we are a class because there are some days in which that person over there can't believe, but it's okay because we've locked arms and on that, on that day when that person can't believe, some of the rest of us can, so we'll just sort of drag you along until you get back up to speed, which is good because there'll be some days when I can't, and if we still have our arms locked, that's okay too. Christian doubt, doubt in community, leads to better places, y'all. Unless that doubt becomes despair and gloom and darkness. It's on those days, hopefully, we're still together, we're still locking arms, and we're rehearsing Advent theology with one another, which says this. Yes, it's dark. Yes, it's dark. But it's morning dark. It's sunrise dark. And if you know where to look, there are little pockets and patches of light that tell us what's coming. And so there is this belief, this stubborn belief, that the people of God, though acknowledging the darkness, the people of God still are walking toward this picture of Pride Rock. In little bitty ways, 
sometimes in big ways, but at least in little bitty ways. 79 families yesterday were served by Christmas blessings. 79 families, everyone. And I think what I enjoyed most about yesterday was the opportunity just to sit and listen. I had more time this year for some reason to sit and listen and have these conversations and to, to allow some of the folks to speak into my life to help me see where there are patches of light to be found. Hey, there are patches of light to be found. The wilderness, yep, God says. I acknowledge the darkness. I, I acknowledge the, the captivity of it all. But God seems to be saying here, I'm not going to let all of that be the last word. In fact, what God says is, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. And things are going to change. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, and that's a crocus flower. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Remember now, these are words spoken to a people still in captivity, to a people still in darkness, to a people still suffering drought and famine and danger and violence, and yet, this is what's being said to them. Hey, it's sunrise, darkness. God is on the way. And man, when God gets there, Things are going to change. So between now and then, bear up, lock arms. I believe that's what this is saying here. Lock arms. John, are you saying that we can't be Christian without going to church? Yeah. Christ needed Christian community. Safe to say, you probably will too. Send all angry cards and letters, attention to Walt Crow. Um, <laughs> in between now and then, speak these words of encouragement to one another. I have received these words this week. These words from some of you who are in the room have in and of themselves been patches of light for me. And you all as a church have organized in ways that you could point to patches of light for folks who are suffering darkness and captivity. Captivity these days. What, what might we call captivity these days? Well, it's, it's probably not the same that, that, they were, that they were suffering. I mean, th this was a violent sort of captivity. They were removed from their homes against their will. But, but I would submit to you that there's still captivity. There's still captivity. If you've ever known someone addicted, you've seen someone in captivity. Amen? You see that? But I do think cynicism that leads to despair is its own kind of captivity. Debt that doesn't allow you to move freely about is captivity. Racism is bad captivity, it's ugly. It locks people into place, into bad, bad, bad places. Bad theology, which blesses forms of racism, is in and of itself, and you can find it at church, captivity. Captivity. It matters what you think 
about God. If God for you looks like Zeus, who sits above everything, ready to weaponize God's power to punish wrongdoers, I really need to introduce you to Jesus, who is the reliable face of God. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, don't fear, here's your God. He will come with vengeance, terrible recompense. Well, that sounds like an angry God. That sounds like the Zeus God. But here's what we're trying to say here is, whatever harm Scar has done to Pride Rock, God will come and overcome. Man, and when he does, he will come and save and save. And look at what happens. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Man, the people of Israel were so often in captivity and so often uh, in slavery and so often conquered, so often wiped out. They had to sing these songs to one another just to kind of keep hope alive. These are the verses they kept referring back to time and again to say to one another, someday, someday, God's going to send the right kind of leader, and some, someday things are going to finally break our way. And, and these are the kinds of things that we're going to see. These are the kinds of things we're going to see, and it is going to be incredible. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come home with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. I love this. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Oh, I know so many of your stories and so many of your stories contain, include sorrow and sighing. Please hear me say, it's dark but it's morning dark. <laughs> it's morning darkness. God is on the way again. Because during Advent, we aren't trying to convince one another that Christ hasn't come yet. That's not what we do in Advent. What we do is acknowledge the darkness and say, here's the reason we can say this is all morning darkness, because Christ has come, but is not yet finished. So a guy like John the Baptist, a good a guy as John the Baptist, proclaiming, proclaiming, uh, with just fire in his eyes, proclaiming, and then he gets arrested and brutalized, and he knows in prison, he knows in prison that he's not going to live through this experience. And so, as you might expect, John the Baptist starts to wonder, and even wonder out loud, did I get this wrong? <laughs> you think I had some despair driving past Lake Hefner, what if I was John the Baptist? John the Baptist, who is awaiting his own execution, knowing it's coming, after having said all that he has said, he dares to doubt and say, are you really the one that we've been thinking about and aching for and praying for? Jesus, are you really the one? Because I gotta tell you something, Jesus, I'm in prison and I'm about to die. Jesus, are you, are you the one? Because... It's dark in here, in this cell, and things are bleak. Jesus, are you the one? He sends word to Jesus, and listen to what Jesus says in return. Jesus, knowing passages like Isaiah 35, 
Knowing passages like Isaiah 61, which say something very similar, Jesus said, well, here's what you see, John. The blind do, in fact, receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. So, John, I want you to hear me. I want to acknowledge that your darkness is, in fact, dark. But John the Baptist says, Jesus, to John the Baptist, to John the Middendorf, and to all of you. Yep, it's dark. But it's morning darkness. It's morning darkness. Yeah says Jesus, I am the light of the new day, and things will get brighter. Like I say, I know some of the darkness that you've dragged in here with you, and, and some of you, your darkness can be labeled debt. Some of you, it can be labeled addiction. Some of you, it can be labeled family <laughs> explosions. Family Armageddon. And some of you, it is doubt and cynicism that has, in fact, become despair, and you're on the outside looking in, and you know it. I'm not here today to tell you that it's not dark. In fact, hear me say, it's dark, and we all still need for God in Christ to finish what God started. The good news is, God started in Christ. And so we get together and we sing good Advent songs like last week. Like last week we sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this week, this week another really good Advent song that the church has used to remind one another. We've used this song for, for a long time. This is a good Wesley hymn. So for a couple hundred years we've used this hymn to remind one another that it's morning darkness. just going to sing a verse, and then we're going to have folks come and gather us and organize the table. And remember, please remember that we eat to remember that it is all morning darkness. Let's sing this couple of slides worth of lyrics together. Come thou long with today's meal, would you go ahead and come on up? If you are new to our fellowship, here's what will happen in a moment after I have blessed the elements. We're going to ask you to stand, all who are willing, 
to stand, exit your pew to the left, and to come forward to receive a little bit of bread that will be pressed into your hand. And then we're going to ask you to take that bread and dip it into the cup. And then I'd like to ask you to find a place to pray, particularly, particularly those of you I hear this. I think the prayer time is super important today, and it kind of finishes the sentence today. If you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say darkness, please find a place to pray. If you know what I mean when I say darkness, perhaps one of the other words that I've used has struck a chord with you, whether that be debt or family fracture or addiction or despair would ask you to come and find some strength here at this table along with all the other fellow strugglers that we have in the room and then I hope you'll find a place to pray now you can pray anywhere and I'm pretty sure God can hear you wherever you are pretty sure but if you come to one of these side padded altars then someone will meet you there to pray a prayer for healing and perhaps it's physical healing that you need but maybe it's mental or emotional or relational or theological healing that you need. And we will pray that prayer for you at one of these side padded altars. But these other, these other wooden mourners benches, those are available for prayers of all kinds. And here's the thing, you will find that you are not praying alone. Somebody at some point will touch you back of your head, your shoulder, your back, just to make sure that you understand this deep and profound and biblical truth, you are not alone. You are not alone. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with them, God, strengthen us to be people who have the capacity to imagine light in the midst of darkness. surround us with the kinds of people who can point us to glimpses of light, patches of rain. <laughs> Strengthen our hands and our feeble knees and give us the capacity to also encourage and nourish help someone else to strengthen their hands and their feeble knees as I've said to you in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet exit your pew to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which you can't charge or put on layaway or swipe that which comes to you as a gift simply as I know how to say it it comes to you as a gift it's grace as you approach the person with the bread, that person will snap off a piece, place it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you because light has come into the world. We're just not finished yet. Don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding your cup. When you do, that little person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. Then take and eat. And then find a place to pray, whether it be at one of these side altars, one of these wooden altars, or back at your pew. Just find a place to pray. If you would like to, you can make a special trip up here. This bowl is full of cool water. It's very still right now. 
This cool water is meant to remind you of your baptism, and perhaps you need that reminder. Perhaps you need to make the special trip all the way up to dip your fingers, just your fingers, into that bowl so that your memory is jolted and you remember that you are, in fact, whether it's dark or not, you're still claimed. You're still claimed by the mission, by the movement, by the very heart of God. If you just need that reminder, that's what that is for. Who, who is welcome at this table? Everyone, everyone who understands their need for grace. If you understand your need for grace, you don't have to be fixed. It doesn't matter what you dragged in here with you today. If you understand your need for this kind of grace, you are welcome, no questions asked. And if for some reason you can't get to us, that's good. And Jason has really good help today, and they are already coming to you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. After dinner, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. Every time you drink it, remember me. Church, all of you confronted and confounded by darkness of any kind, you are all welcome at this table. So, that said, all who are willing, would you stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward with hands cupped to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God.
walk us through a brief prayer of confession. Jason will walk us through a few prayers of petition, intercession. We will read the prayers of our children and conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Please take this time and venture close. Heavenly Father, we confess we find ourselves confronted by, surrounded by this darkness that comes in a variety of names, shapes, forms, sizes. God, we will take this opportunity that you have given us today, the space that you have given us to go ahead and name the darkness that confounds us, confuses us, that seems to be chaos in our lives. Church, I would encourage you now to do just that. It's a good time just to name whatever it is that feels like darkness, feels like confusion and chaos. Just name it right now. confessing, we confess we need, we need you. We need those people expected and unexpected who can point us toward patches of light, a little bit of rain here and there. So God, I am grateful for those people that I've been able to spend some time with this week and would ask, Lord, that you would, in fact, surround us with folks who have the capacity, even in the midst of darkness, to discern light. People who can take us by the shoulders and reorient us, save us from despair, even while we acknowledge the darkness and restore to us the joy of hope. Hear us now as we pray for one another. In these few moments of intercession, would you pray for someone who you know as you brought into this sanctuary, a darkness that you don't understand. It could be relational grief, loss, an illness, someone you love who has cancer, that person who you've carried in your heart, a heaviness and a darkness. In these moments of intercession, would you pray for God's healing presence and light and life to be with that friend, that family member that you're praying for now?
the same way in moments of intercession. You take one of those dark systems Pastor John mentioned this morning and pray that God would topple it with his light and even using us. It could be a situation in your home, in your heart. It could be a situation in our city, a situation in our world. the Lord's Prayer of a church. Would you whisper a prayer for some of our friends? We need a specific healing touch from you. Names like June Adams, Lynn Caprero, Jerry Bell, Marvin Beard. And other names that you're coming to your mind now as you pray for those belong to your church family, a Sunday school class, or a small group. Especially during this season, we want to pray for those who've experienced loss, especially recent loss, and also those who are alone, lonely, and the incarcerated. Lord, may we be your people and live into this prayer. The prayer you taught your disciples to pray in church. We're going to pray this morning using debts and debtors, and that prayer will be in front of you if you're not familiar. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.